Welcome to the Addiction Connection. We like to believe the opposite of addiction is actually connection, and we are going to attempt to educate you and possibly even entertain you while we navigate all topics addiction. Hi, I'm Dr. Kirk Devine. And I'm Dr. Heather Bell, and we both provide primary care and addiction services. It's our goal to help you learn more about the disease of addiction and its treatments. You're, you're letting me say welcome back to everybody? I am. I'm just in the background. <laughs> have this, like, gray air crickets. I should have had a crickets button. Is your phone off yet? Uh, I, I think I did turn it off. It kept beeping. It just feels weird to be taping a podcast. We taped so many together in a row last time that... Yeah. I'm, I'm missing, like, the good co-host of Charlie. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, you're down to me. Okay, so today we we did this as like a different presentation, and I think you said it'd be really cool to do as a podcast because I think it's super pertinent questions that we get on the day to day that you don't even think to ask until it's like a situation that happens. Yeah, and I think that that we get a lot of phone calls, or we we're meeting with people and they're talking about these situations. And often, often it's a little uncomfortable because we have a, you know, we've kind of developed a certain way of doing things, and I think we've become a lot more. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Understanding. You're yes. adjusting my yes. I was my no, noise here. No, I wasn't actually. A lot more understanding. I was thinking understanding of what? Oh yeah, the patients. Um, yeah. We're not trying to imply though that the phone calls we get. We don't want to get, and that's why we're teaching this on a podcast. Like, no, we still like the calls, but people sometimes feel weird asking some of these easier, straight, not easy, straightforward in a way. Yeah, and I think it's, these are things we're going to talk about that develop with time. I think often early on in your career, you do things way differently than you do down the road. You, you just kind of adjust, and I think we've adjusted quite a bit. I think that maybe the common oversight for me when you just said that is not just career, but in your buprenorphine practice career, in your career of treating patients with opioid use disorder, and we see this a lot. We've seen how many people who prescribe almost all go through this. Is that I think so. I don't think it's necessarily um, I'm getting soft over time or I'm whatever. I think you're taking a more patient-centered approach. And a more meet the patient where they're at approach. Well, I think too, when you start doing buprenorphine, you think you're going to control everything, right? And I think one of those things, just as an example, which isn't one of our questions, is that you think, oh, I'm only going to refill their buprenorphine when they come in and it's going to be every four weeks and it's always going to happen on time. And then it doesn't because a patient has something come up and their visits later. and Well, how many times did you say like, okay, we're just going to get everybody on a schedule and we're going <laughs> to refill these people on Mondays and we're refill these people on Tuesdays. And it's like... Never happened. Never I've had, happened. I've had three refills today that, and I'm off. Right. And I'm getting texted by the nurse. And it's because people don't make their is appointments on... Is texted a word or is it just text? Uh, anyway, sorry. I don't know what the right answer is. But I is. think that, that we have to understand that there's... Man, there's a lot of disruption and you just have to be okay with the chaos you do and i and you don't it goes back to the stigma or implicit bias maybe that you don't even realize you're doing it or you're not and and maybe stigma sounds hard but it's it's think about this it's an unknown thing that has so much voodoo out there that 
you think you should control it because it's something nobody really knows unless you have personal experience with it. So well, you should think about this. It's like, oh, I'm going to go back to the diabetic thing, right? So, so we know people in programs where it's like, oh, I'm only going to fill their meds when they come in for the, their visit. And if they're late, well, they don't get meds. Mm-hmm. And we've had people say that. Well, do you do that to diabetics? It's We're like, guess what? We're not going to fill your insulin and now you're in the hospital with a hyperglycemic, <laughs> yeah. hyper whatever. Yeah, you didn't show up Friday because you were at a wedding and sorry so we're not going to give it so so we fill those meds think so of all the, the meds ICU we fill with like hyperglycemia and then the buprenorphine patients are dead so i mean that's that's actually a, yeah. a thing it's so to me it's like yeah we fill everybody else's meds all the time although we don't do a lot of family practice anymore but it's like yeah that you get refills every day and it's not you don't fill them at their appointment right so i think we just kind of fell into that right and you just it, wing it you do, and I again, I think it just goes back to the point that this is like that weird unknown thing with a bunch of other buys on top of it. So that's kind of interesting because here's question number one or case points number one. So let's say we have a hypothetical patient we're calling number one, but not a real number one. Um, patient starts treatment, kind of, um, relapses in days, and then or maybe they relapse in a few weeks, or maybe it's been a few months. Like they just, basically they keep calling saying, um, can I come back, please? Or they come in and they're fairly regular and doing the right things according to, you know, the world, and yet they have meth in their urine or they have marijuana in their urine or they have cocaine in their urine or they have something else in their urine. So, Kurt. So do you... You have that patient. So are there reasons you would kick somebody out of your buprenorphine program and how has this for you changed over the last six plus years? Yeah, and I think uh, I think at the beginning, it was difficult for me to tolerate that. I just I felt like, you know, it's just like uh, again a diabetic. You want that glycosylated in that range, and you're really working hard to do that. And um, the reality is, I've never. Have you ever fired a diabetic? I've for never fired a diabetic. Yeah, nine. I've never 13. fired a diabetic, and so so in my whole career, I I discharged one patient and. Uh, and it was really very complicated, but um, yeah, I don't think that way anymore. And right. I think that there's our job is to just keep trying. And you know, I've discharged one patient as well because literally every law enforcement human said she's not she's selling literally every one of them, and she was. But I think the question I'm going to be the devil's advocate. Oh no, because this is the question you will get. So this if you're just going to keep new. like. You're never going to fire a patient, and then they like keep coming back, or they keep coming in, or what if they keep doing things, or what if they keep selling it? Like, you're not really holding them accountable. Well, there's a different approach. You know, it's not like, well, I'm going to fire you because you're not actually compliant, quote unquote, with your treatment, because that's what it feels like sometimes. It's like, okay, I feel like I'm being run around the block and you're just stepping all over me. It can feel like that. But what I would say to that, and my response to that is, then every single time is just another opportunity to try to find a new way to get there. Yeah. I have a patient going now. That's called motivational interviewing. Yeah. It's just, it just continues to not show up, to get prescriptions, had been getting all kinds of different things from other physicians. So very complicated. And, you know, trying to rein all that in. And would it be easy to give up? Yeah. Be, be super easy. Right. But who wins? Nobody. And so we keep trying. And um, am I frustrated? Uh, 
mm, you know, a little, but it's like, I don't take it personal. It's right. part of the disease and, and, uh, you just have to keep again, thinking of another way, right. you know, what, 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 how should I change my approach? Right. You know, who do I get on my side in, in the family that, that I can, that I'm okay talking with that they've okayed. I also want to say though, when you were saying that this isn't because we have some God complex or. I will save this person. I was like, kind of thinking you did, but okay. <laughs> really? Well, thank you. No. Um, it's not that. It's, it is about the patient. It's like, let me try to figure out a way to meet you where you're at. And I've sent patients to you because I think your approach is, I mean, we know our approaches are very different. We've heard that multiple times mm-hmm. from different people. But if I'm just not getting there, or my approach isn't working, it's not about me. I'm not this holier than thou, I will send the patient to you or ask them to see you or, you know, just try it one time because maybe your approach is going to be better. It's about the patient and finding out where they are and how you can help them get to wherever they want to go. Yeah. And so the short answer is I just don't discharge anybody anymore. Do they sometimes not show or don't come back? That happens. Have you ever had a patient? I mean, I can think of more than a handful of patients who... Why do you just keep letting me restart over and over yeah. after, you know, they, they'll, they'll come in and they'll get their week's prescription that first visit and then you won't see them again for three months. And well, because you came back, that's all that matters. I mean, if you think about it, we've seen hundreds of patients between us and, uh, and a lot of them have transferred to different physicians when they move. And, but it's like every time is completely different. And Whomever is a patient out there that might be listening to this, whether you've seen one of us or not, I always have this fear because when patients say that, why do you keep letting me come back? I have this fear that sometimes when patients relapse, they don't call because they feel ashamed or they feel like I'm going to be mad at them or they let me down and so they don't come back. I don't ever want anybody to feel that way. At least I can't speak for every doctor in the world, but I can say I, I kind of understand how you practice and myself like... No, as long as you're coming back, you have nothing to be afraid of, ashamed of, or feel badly for. We are there for you. No, ju- the, I mean, the, you have to get to the point where there's just no judgment. Right. It's like, you're back, let's start over. But to the no patients, big deal. because yeah. how many patients recently have we had overdose? And not how many. There's been a couple that have been lost to us, and I think there was some of that fear. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I've, I've gotten to say to patients, especially early on when I've just started seeing them, I always say, now, if you start to struggle, your first call should be us. Right. <laughs> it, it, your first call isn't a dealer. Your first call is to us because you mm-hmm. can come in right then. Right. And, and, and we'll have that talk. Right. Um, and it's not because I'm the smartest doctor in the world. Um, I think you are. No, that's, I'm kidding. Aww. I don't. <laughs> I was just wow. trying to make you feel good for just. Dang. Yeah, but for a millisecond, you I'm felt great. Great day. Write this date down in history. Yeah, for a millisecond. Actually, it'll be like two like, days. It'll be like the day that we're taping this and next week when it actually airs. Yeah. Whew, two days. I get so, to be cool for a week. So, yeah, I don't know that we have much more to say, but, yeah, we don't we don't kick people out. No. Um, they go to jail. They come back. We hope they come back. They, they sell our stuff. <laughs> we don't sell them to them in jail. Let's just be real. We have you know, a whole talk I'm going to do on that one. You know, people in addiction do things, and that's not that's something not that That's not them. I, it's their brain. It's their brain. The subconscious parts. Okay, case number two. So you have a patient who is a known history of IV drug use. So this patient is known to have been using IV for years, maybe multiple different drugs IV even. So this is a very 
high risk patient. It's more, you know, they're not just popping a couple of legit oxys. It's, it's high risk. If they're high risk, they should probably be seeing me. Oh, never mind. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> if you're one nice of my laugh. patients, you can uh-huh. come and tell Kurt, you know, the real truth. But anyway, That's funny. so you get him started or her started on MOUD and, and your buprenorphine treatment um, because we always do that right away. You know, if you want help, we're going to get you on the meds first. We'll deal with everything else like treatments later. The patient has a job. He has a supportive family. But someone said, oh, my God, you have a history of IV drug use. You need to go to inpatient treatment. Do or, you send every patient to treatment facility? Because I feel like we are treatment as MOUD, but people think of treatment as you're going away for a couple months. And let me say this, that um, I have had patients say to me, they went somewhere and they said, I won't prescribe you medications, you need to go to treatment. And so if they would not go to the treatment that day, they did not get medications. And you know, I just had this conversation with somebody, I said, you really need inpatient treatment. And he said, I'm not going. I've been there how many times? He said, you know, I just want to be on buprenorphine. I want to, I want to get a job. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, how about outpatient treatment? So now I'm, you know, I mean, we could do this a different way. You could have a job and you could do outpatient. And he said, I'd think about outpatient, but not today. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. Right. Now we're getting somewhere. And I said, well, I'm happy to get you that medication. Let's see you again on Friday and let's talk about it again. And so for me, it's not, you know, most of these patients that we see, they've been through treatment how many times, four or five, six, seven, 10, you know, they know the shtick. They, they really want to, they want to get back to work. They want to get their relationships settled. And then sometimes they do outpatient. I I think we're going to end after this topic because this is a good topic. I think we need to keep talking about, we're going to share the rest of all these subsequent just so you know that's my thought well that's not for any listener this is just for me telling kurt what we're doing i I Um, just want i just really want you to be in charge so go ahead so you know i think that is like you mentioned people just you have to go to treatment um the goal is to keep patients alive and again the goal is patient-centered care you want to meet the patient where they're at maybe they're afraid to go to treatment for the 400th time they, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. I failed this one. I graduated this one or whatever the answers of whatever. I don't even ask them all the reasons anymore. But if the patient is there asking for help and you have the med that's going to save their life. Okay. Let's do that first. Remember the adulting part of the brain, that frontal lobe takes 90 days, roughly three months at the minimum, at the minimum to kind of come back. So you're taking a person as many drugs as they want to inject. I don't care. And you're make, trying to make them say, well, you should probably go to treatment to learn all these coping strategies. They're thinking, hmm, I should have a cheeseburger later. Like they're thinking like your toddler because that's where their brain is at. Yeah. Like they don't have that adult. Yep, I probably should because that would be the most advantageous thing for my feet. No, they don't think that way. And so it's better of a patient-centered relationship as a provider to see that patient myself if they're going to be taking the meds and they're coming back we build that what's that therapeutic relationship is the word i'm looking for and over time as we're seeing each other i pull out some of those things well where are you struggling Mm. so in the last week have there been times where you've had cravings what did you do in that moment what about triggers and we kind of work through that and then at some point it's like well you know, do you want to talk about treatment? Some patients, they want to go right to treatment. Great. Send you right to treatment day one, whatever. 
But sometimes they're like struggling a little bit more and a little bit more with avoiding triggers or getting anxious over those moments. Well, maybe some outpatient would be good for you because then you can learn some of those things real time. I'm going to say two things. First, people need to understand these are our opinions. Uh, I don't know that we're right or wrong. Correct. I have no idea. The second thing is... Although I liked it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the, the second thing is, is that uh, often... You now forgot what you were going to say because I talked. I was going to say that, but then I remembered. <laughs> the, the second thing is really that, you know, oh often when we look at what we, what we try to impress upon patients as far as what we think they that should do... That was a really good statement. Yeah. What, what we think they should do, it's a lot of times based on a little bit on our bias and where we've been and that we think that this is the best for you. Oh, wow. And, you know, and we don't know what's best for them. Can and I just... Look at the growth here. I mean, I'm just... I, I don't know what you ate your Wheaties today, although you don't eat those anymore. No. We won't go into that topic, but... Um, I used to love Wheaties. But anyway, Here's go ahead. what... Dang it. I think I might have forgot. It. Oh, I know. You brought up the whole point about bias as a provider saying, I think this is what you need to do because I am the doctor and I am all holier powerful. than whomever and powerful and I am so not that kind of doctor. Well, you're not powerful. Nobody calls me doctor. And he, there's no last names. Um, no, but it's kind of like the flip side is not only am I this whatever doctor and I, you know, that whole idea, but it's also, you know, rule 25s have obviously kind of changed at least in our state in Minnesota now we do more chemical health assessments and kind of adjusting like what level of care do they need of course these chemical health assessments have taken like at least me as the provider's opinion into you know some of it more but those are based on like a piece of paper and checklists and protocols you know like if, if you looked at me on a piece of paper and a protocol and you threw my a score on a piece of paper and a protocol you would have never given me a chance. Let's be real. Like, no one would have ever guessed that I'd be sitting here right now. But uh, you, I'm pretty surprised. And, and that's the reality. And For more than one reason. <laughs> but you're taking a person, and you're putting them on this paper, and you're saying, well, according to this random piece of paper result, this is what you need. There's no person in that. You know what? And, and I'll tell you that, that often it's even our bias before we see the patient. Yes. And I'm guilty of this. Me too. They came to me with a patient last week, and I looked through the stuff, and I thought, oh, man, this is, this is really, I don't know, a little sketchy. And I really regret that because then I met the person. I'm like, man, this dude's cool. You know, I mean, he's really, he's really done well with what he had. Right. And he was dealt some pretty tough cards. And, hey, he's, I, I really, and I would say 95% of the patients I see, it's the same in family practice probably are just hilariously fun people. I want to come back to that thought, but I kind of want to end with that because I have a statement to make about what you just said. Mm -hmm. The the final statement I want to make, though, on this whole, do we send them to inpatient because we're, you know, doing really well on time here, um, is I have to give the example of when I actually fought the Rule 25 assessor because they were looking at the piece of paper. Patient number one, you know who you are. You know who this person is. Very, very challenging. We had gone to inpatient multiple times. I had sent this person to inpatient multiple times. And it was that person that kept coming back. We need to try again. We need to try again. And, of course, let's get an assessment because that was what somebody in the county needed, told him he needed to do. And it said inpatient. And I was like, no, 
I cannot send this human back to inpatient. Why? Because they lead every group. They are the <laughs> they are the epitome of inpatient treatment. They know what to do. They learn the same things over and over. They, they know, know what that, to say. But they also know the answers. Like, yeah. But not just know what to say. They know what they should be doing. But then you get out of inpatient and you're all of a sudden like in the real world and you drive down the road because that's where your job is and all of a sudden something triggers you and now I don't know how to react in that situation. And it's your brain. And it's the brain. So some people may argue that's why we do outpatient and step down treatment after inpatient. Mm. This, I called the assessor. I said, nope, I am advocating for outpatient. Like outpatient 1 million percent because this person needs to have ongoing outpatient treatment to know how to function in the real world because they don't need inpatient. And guess what? That was the last time we had a relapse. Yeah. And you know, mic drop. Yeah. One thing we have to just mention as a part of this whole topic is lying. Do you throw somebody out of your program because they don't tell you the truth? Well, no. guess what? I wouldn't be seeing anybody because early on, you won't be seeing any patients in any practice. <laughs> early on, whether it's family yeah. medicine or the it's, dentist. I how often do you brush your, your floss your teeth every day? Yeah, I've been flossing those suckers so much they're bleeding. <laughs> how many people actually floss that often? But everybody tells the dentist they do. It's like, yeah, you go to the doctor. It's like, oh uh, yeah, I exercise all the time. <laughs> Well, actually, I do, but, but so you do, but I'm um, not saying you particularly. I'm gonna have to, yeah. But there's so many things. I mean, that we everybody every day, and the reality is, that with addiction, often they're embarrassed about what's gone it's on. That whole glass houses and rocks thing. Yeah. So <laughs> understand that not all, early on. I think the patients that you and I see that we've been seeing for years, they're some of the most honest people. They're my favorite. Sometimes humans. you sometimes you wish you you should really lied about you should that. Really, <laughs> just I don't need to know that. But yeah. thank you anyway. Let's talk about it. So here's what I wanted to end with. Oh it's my god! It's that whole judging a book by its cover thing. I have to give a shout out to Drew because I know Drew listens to this, even though he just spent a month with us. Drew is an amazing physician assistant student who sadly is failing his rotation with us because he decided to move yeah. across the country. I gave him a big F. Just kidding. We're going to let him go. And he's as long as he comes back, he has to sign it in blood. Anyway, he worked with us in both clinics. And we had the perfect patient in our my primary care clinic, actually. And you, mister, were like red flags. I mean, he was. You read this patient on a sheet of paper, and you're like, oh, my gosh. There were some flags. A lot of flags. And I actually sent Drew in first. And I'm like, here's the deal, Drew. Like, we can read a chart and we can see what it says. But ultimately, he's a brand new person. Go talk to him. Listen to him. What? Okay. Listen to a patient? To a when patient. did that start? Oh, my gosh. Clearly not when you were in practice or <laughs> residency. <laughs> well, we didn't have even cell phones then. But no, anyway. But you couldn't even listen to the patient sitting across from you. Um, anyway, so in the barn when you were shoveling hay or whatever the heck you do mm. in a barn. Anyway, so he comes back out after a really long time and he's like, oh my gosh, this patient is hilarious. And we're, we're kind of all looking at him like, okay, what did he give you? <laughs> because, I mean, it was great. But I go in and this gentleman, if you listened to his story, it's almost like no other person had ever listened to him before. Again, this isn't about me. It's about my student who listened to this patient and actually heard it. And he had good reason to need chronic long-term pain medications. I, this is... I have another patient on chronic long-term pain medications. There was a ridiculously amazing reason to it, but no one had ever listened to him because on face value, 
There were red flags everywhere. Yeah, there were. And an F for listening, Drew. (laughs) (laughs) It's a joke. (laughs) It's a joke, This student, man, if y'all could, like, anyway. So, good job, Drew. We're going to clearly miss you after tomorrow. I'm done seeing you, sadly, but we're going to miss you. You're coming back. Bottom line. A couple of years, you can take my job because I can't take (gasps) Heather again. Absolutely. After about you, two years, about just you jump. know where the office is. Just yeah. walk there. Yeah. Not from where you're moving. That'd All be right. A long so walk, but those were the first three commonly <laughs> first, common issues. Those were the first two. Two. Jesus. Kick is that patient on a treatment and send or kick patient on the program and send them to treatment. We made it through two topics. Oh well, there's going to be more of these. There's going to be a lot of these. All right. Well, we better go. Let yeah. Casey put something on here. I'm not sure what kind of music he's putting on lately. Shh, don't tell him that. <laughs> you know, and here's another thing for Drew. Drew said, hey, I was listening to that podcast. And at the end of it, your son Casey put this song on called Little Boxes, Little Boxes. And he said he made up a whole new verse. And I was like, he did? <laughs> it's like, and I listened to it, and sure enough, he did. Huh. So, yeah, Little Boxes. My, my kids, though, just so you know, my 10 and 12-year-old sons, they like to listen to the intro that's pre-recorded. They like to listen to the beginning to see who talks first and how we make fun of each other at the very beginning. Depending on the topic, they might listen to it just because they like to listen to their mom be funny. Oh, but geez. then they always go to the end and listen to the music. Wow. So thanks, boys, for giving us another listener. But <laughs> thanks, Casey, a- for actually giving us listeners. You saw the number we went over. We crossed 40,000. Yeah, 40,000. So thank y'all. So thank you everyone for listening. It makes us feel good that people take this to heart. So on that note. Please feel free to reach out to us though. If you have anything else you want to ask us or tell us the Addiction Connection podcast at Gmail. All right. Thanks all. Up when we 